Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. He is Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric held serve at home. Wasn't always the easiest, but uh, but uh, held on in the end as opposed to the last two games. <laughs> They did. They did hold on, but it's kind of interesting. It's it's one of those uh, one of those games where obviously the worst thing you could have done is is lose. I mean, it's basketball. The worst thing you can always do is is lose. Uh, but uh, they found a way to win, but in a way that it's not like it particularly helps them from a number standpoint or or a resume standpoint. I mean, the net doesn't update quickly enough to know exactly how this win is going to affect them. Um, but in all the other metrics, such as like Ken Palm or Bar Torvik or Evan Mia, my new favorite, uh, the Gator, the Gators have dropped. Um, so as we, uh, as we speak now, they, uh, they went from, I think 28th to 31st in, in, in Ken Palm and Neil, this is uh this is the big question. Uh, of course, this is always changing as, as, uh, inputs from from other games finishing change the algorithm but as we stand right now florida is 37th in offensive efficiency on ken palm they are 37th in defensive efficiency on ken palm so i mean we've been we've been saying for a year and a half uh well we're like oh this is actually uh this is actually an offense first basketball team after being defense first for so long and and now we're in limbo neil i i don't know i don't know what the gators are yeah it's hard to know i mean look they they looked like they might be an offensive basketball team for a while in the first half um, and a defensive basketball team. <laughs> it looked like you might have found some balance. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't something that Florida could sustain over 40 minutes. Um, and then Florida really did a couple things that, that you don't think they can do um, normally and be successful. Uh, they turned the ball over at a ridiculously high rate. Uh, today, 20 turnovers in all, and they shot uh, 28% from beyond the arc uh, in their home arena, which was uh, their worst mark in their home arena from from deep this season. And I think, uh, you know, part of how Georgia was able to kind of claw their way back into the game. Yeah, Georgia did the the what you want to do if you're probably the team that's not as talented. You just kind of hang around, you hang around, you hang around the best you can, and you kind of just hope that there's that one that one stretch where uh, where the team ahead kind of goes cold and and you can uh, you can come back in the game. And I mean, it was a little bit of a of a game where where both teams traded scoring droughts. Uh, Florida had a four or five minute one. Georgia had like a six or seven minute one, but. Uh, uh, ultimately that might've been the difference was the fact that Georgia's drought was like six minutes and Florida's was only like four, but, uh, uh, man, again, that's, uh, that's not really what you're looking for in the, in the game of basketball to say, Hey, uh, you know, do you think we can have a, a slightly not as bad drought as the other team? It's uh yeah, not a, not a great way to win. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, you know, and it was interesting to me is that Florida probably wins this game because of defense, which hasn't really been the case that much uh, this season. Um, but transition defense, I thought, was terrific. So we can start with that. It was interesting after the game that, you know, I was kind of – and this was one of those games that Eric and I like where I'm in the building and Eric uh, is working through uh, bootleg feed issues um, that everyone was dealing with today. But, but eventually I guess they got the feed right. Uh, somehow, in any event, I thought Florida's transition defense was really good. Mike White said it was good, but he says we could be a lot better in transition defense. And I don't – basically what he told Graham Hall was he was surprised that analytics thought Florida was that good at transition defense. <laughs> yeah, me and uh, me and Graham were talking about it. I hadn't seen the postgame stuff. I love that Graham asked uh, because, uh, yeah, the, the, one of the things I said on the last podcast was, was just pointing out that, like, yeah, like according to the, the numbers, Florida's a very, very good um, transition defensive team. But these last couple of games, uh, of course, there being some some examples of that uh, today against Georgia, uh, there there's just been some like just catastrophic transition defense failures. Like Arkansas had just a number of three on ones that turn into uncontested layups. Uh, that was kind of the case again, again today. And uh, which is just interesting. Like, again, talking to Graham, I realized I'm like, well, you know, what ha probably has to happen. I just need to like go and watch literally every transition defense clip and find out how much of it is, is, is Florida for lack of a better term, getting lucky. And, uh, and how much of it is, is, you know, really good transition defense because uh, again, that's something that um, it's something that obviously like this is where like numbers and the eye test can sometimes get, 
mixed up is that like you're always going to remember the loud plays. So again, like Florida's had some absolutely catastrophic defensive transition possessions, but does that mean they're a bad transition defensive team on the whole? Uh, doesn't not necessarily. I mean, they could be defending nine out of ten transition plays very very well, and then on the tenth one, it's like you know, the turnover from Quez Glover or whatever that ended up in a two on O dunk. So, so again, it's uh, it's probably something to look into a little bit more. That was definitely funny to hear that, uh, that white was uh, surprised by the numbers. I mean, to, to be honest, I was, I was really surprised by the numbers when I, <laughs> when I came across them and then uh, yeah, the, of course, of course there were some definitely uh, some definitely loud um, transition defense failures, but at the same time, it's like, like again, you can look at some of those layups from from Georgia and say, "Well, that's bad transition defense." But it, I mean, at the same time, it's not really bad transition defense. It's awful offense that puts you at numbers disadvantages. Like again, if you're if you turn the ball over and the other team has a three on one and they score because of it, it's not because your transition defense was bad. It was because you gave up a three on one because you turned the ball over on a point to wing pass. So there's there's also a little bit of that. Like people on Twitter talking about Florida's transition defense, and I'm like. Like, it's 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 not their problem if uh if scotty lewis turns the ball over and it's a it's a two-on-one i mean there's n- you no level of transition defense is is going to be able to stop that so uh yeah it's uh it's it's definitely something to monitor but uh yeah i'm just gotta, gotta love graham hall asking the good questions in, in the post game yeah no i thought it was and i was i mean i was very glad that he asked kind of asked on behalf of us as, as he told me oh. um but <laughs> but uh yeah, and a couple of possessions where it was really huge that Florida came up with big time plays and transition defense uh, in, in the second half when it always felt like the game was kind of teetering on the edge of Georgia getting real close again. Um, you know, there were several moments, not just at the end, uh, and Florida was able to kind of maintain that ten to thirteen point lead, uh, but not not necessarily easily. I mean, there were definitely moments, Eric, where it was you know, 10 points and Georgia's in transition. If they make a layup, they cut it to eight. And Anthony DeRuji just makes a spectacular play uh, to get back and, and contest a shot. And then Georgia gets an offensive rebound where it looks like they did. And DeRuji just strongmans it from him. Uh, and Florida heads back the other way and gets a bucket. I mean, these, those kinds of moments are, are really, you know, great transition defense moments. And, and, you know, because, you don't necessarily get a run out layup the other direction. People might forget it. You know, for all the catastrophic moments you might have, there were some really good ones today. Yeah, there there were, and I mean, again, like I, I just see Florida the the way that their roster is constructed. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Obviously, they they just don't have a lot of really great defenders. They 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 have very few great defenders, I would say. So again, like the the idea that Florida is ever going to be a team that just like clamps down and and plays. 32nd defensive possessions of just really, really good defense where they guard multiple actions, stop multiple actions. It's, it's probably unreasonable. So that's why I, I kind of do think Florida needs to be that team. That's kind of like the home run hitting defensive team, like guys that gamble a little bit for steals. Um, as much as I have not always loved that Daruji tries to block every shot that like puts him out of position, like of which like, uh, Trey Mann has got hit in the face more than any player in the country this year. And again, Good like grief. and again, like Anthony Jerusi comes over trying to block a shot that there is no humanly possible way he can block it. He comes way late and then of course lands on um lands on him. That's uh that's rough. But um uh yeah, I mean, as much as I don't always love those plays at the same time, I kind of think that that's kind of what Florida is, is gonna have to be. And Scotty Lewis again. <laughs> Um, had some tough moments defensively, but also had uh, really or two really good blocks where he just, um, you know, he kind of cheated over, uh, really elevated and uh, and and got his fingertips on the ball. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's probably not the way that Coach White wants us or you know would have wanted going into the season his teams to play defense. But yeah, I just think if you if you just know that you're just like not going to be able to be a team that that can guard multiple actions and just be really sound defensively, uh, you're going to need the big plays. And, and we did see some of those uh, some of those today. Yep, we did. And the other thing we saw was uh, 29 points from the Florida bench. Uh, they outscored Georgia's bench 29 to 12. And you know we expect Colin Castleton now comfortable in this this role they've got him as basically like a big man, sixth man. Um, but uh, the surprise of the day, I think, was Quest Glover, whose play was really the difference in sparking a big Florida run in the first half. And, you know, uh, we'll get to to some other things about 
him here, I think, as we talk about him. But uh, just a very encouraging point performance for him. And, you know, if you just looked at the box score, you'd say, oh, Xavier Wheeler was 9 of 17 from the floor, went to the foul line a bunch, and scored 27 points. And I don't think that tells the whole story uh, as it relates to what Quez Glover was able to do on him defensively. Yeah, that was really good because, like, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that are like sub six feet, uh, just like really speedy guys that is going to be kind of a natural matchup for Quez Glover. So, yeah, you kind of thought he was going to put himself in, in like, like these are the matchups he's got to be able to compete in and, and hopefully do really well. And, and again, like we saw with uh, Severe Wheeler, I thought that uh, Quez Glover might have been the guy that did the best job on him. I, I thought Tyree Appleby had some really tough moments uh, when he got switched on to Scotty Lewis. Scotty Lewis had some really tough moments. Uh, I thought I thought Quez Glover's ability to to move his feet was 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 really good and kind of uh, get underneath, which is crazy because even you know Severe Wheeler's like the same height, but just his, his his ability to get in a stance, get underneath, and just like make every dribble he took uncomfortable. Uh, I, I thought it was really good, and, and I mean I don't totally remember how many minutes he he finished the game with, but uh, I almost thought it could have been more just because of his defense on on, on Severe Wheeler. Yeah, he played 18, and I, I actually uh, – so the audience knows I did text Eric as as Georgia was cutting into the lead with five, six minutes to go. And the question I had with, with Appleby having a tough one where his body got turned around a couple times by Wheeler and just, like, looked really awkward. And then if Tyree was careless with the basketball, which is supposed to be the whole point that he's in the game um, late – you know, kind of a, a tougher day for him. He's had a couple kind of tough games taking care of the ball since Florida got back from the COVID pause. And I just thought, you know, Tyree Appleby is a high effort defender, Eric. I'm not sure he's a plus defender. Um, and I think Quest Glover, uh, while maybe his size limits like what his actual impact is, you know, there's definitely he gets down in his stance and it's just a pleasure to watch him guard. And you'd think – that holding a lead that late, you'd trust Trey man with the basketball and you'd keep Quest Glover in to play defense. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it would have worked. But the, the other thing, of course, is we do just have like such a large, like as much as Tyree Appleby just turned the ball over a bunch, a couple of games in a row. Uh, yeah. We also have, you know, we've got a time-honored tradition of, of Quest Glover getting some tough turnovers, of which even <laughs> on a game that I think very well been his best um, in a Gator uniform, he still had two turnovers uh, that were yep. – Pretty bad ones, I will say, yeah, on a night where, you know, it seemed like everyone's turnover was like a really bad one. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but again, so I, I think that there's definitely probably a little a little bit of uh, still a little bit of trust there that um, you know, a more veteran Tyree Appleby is going to have. But uh, uh, but again, yeah, when you're you're kind of nursing a lead, I, I think that they could have uh, maybe gone offense defense in, in a little bit different way than they did. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe you just get Quez Glover in and, and and default him to uh, to being in the game, not trying to sneak him in and out because. Because, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I mean, I, I joked that we now don't even know if Florida is an offense first or defense first team because of their uh, because of their rankings right now. But I, I still would say, like, you know, personally, I'm more comfortable with this team from an offensive standpoint than a defensive yeah. standpoint. And therefore, if you have a defensive matchup that you quite like, um, yeah, I think you, you probably got to got to go to that. Yeah, I mean, Florida, Georgia shows multiple looks defensively and, and Florida got really good shots uh, pretty much all night. Um, just didn't really make much of anything uh, from beyond the arc. I, I actually said, I think I said 28. Then it was it was 26%. Um, Florida's bench, as good as it was, doesn't hit a three. They go over six. Uh, Scotty Lewis with some misses that we really haven't seen from him in his college career uh, when he's that open um, from, from beyond the arc. And then Noah Locke, 0 for 6 in the second half. Noah's now four for 17 since the COVID pause from deep. Uh, his minutes went down a little bit, probably because of bad turnovers more than missing shots, though. Oh, man. Well, I just I, – I just – I don't know why they keep giving him pick and roll opportunities. And and one of them did come – like Florida's starting to do a little bit of like continuity ball screen, which is just like what everyone in the country runs, and that's only a slight exaggeration. Like – uh-huh. You know, like I, I, I would honestly say comfortably that one third of teams in college basketball play some variation of a continuity ball screen. Um, you'll you'll see it. Um, 
you'll know when you see it. Uh, obviously, I wish I had a clipboard and this wasn't uh, you know an audio only medium of a, of the podcast. Uh, but you'll see it if like a guard starts to dribble towards the sideline that has two players on that side, and the first player closest to him at like the forty five, he cuts through to clear out, and then they get like a naked ball screen with uh, an empty side ball screen. And um, and again, so Florida started to run that a little bit. So the thing with that is, so you run that to one side, and if nothing is there, you reverse the ball, and then you do the same thing on the other side of the floor. So because of the very nature of that, you're not always going to have the ball in the hands of your your best pick and roll ball handler. It's not like, hey, let's walk down the floor and, and run one for Trey Man. So again, one of the pick and rolls was this continuity ball screen where there was nothing on the first side. It got reversed to Noah Locke. Um, and then he got in trouble. But but again, I just man, like there there's been some poor possessions with uh with 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 Noah Locke running ball screens. And I, it, I just I just don't understand it, especially when Tyree Appleby and Trey Manor on the floor. It's just so odd to me to have them just watching as as Noah Locke, who is just n- not great in, in, in pick and rolls, uh, when when they use it for him and then he ends up throwing it into the third row or or, or, or turning it over. It's just, and again, like, man, we're, we're deep in the season. This is his third season um, in with Florida. I mean, teams just know how to garden. You just, you saw them, like, obviously Georgia was trapping a few pick and rolls, but it was definitely, they were trapping every time that, that Noah Locke ran it. And uh, yeah, I just think that uh, you're probably going to just keep seeing that. So, so again, just why, why there are these early clock or mid clock Noah Locke pick and rolls. I just, I just don't think it gets the best out of him. And again, like, you know, he has a, he has an 0 for six second half. That could be any number of factors, but uh, man, I, I think two really, really bad turnovers. Um, that probably doesn't put a player in the best headspace, and then he, you know, misses a shot. Uh, maybe that played some role in, in having a, a tougher second half. But uh, man, he's under the forty percent mark now from three um, for the first time in a while. Um, and uh, Neil, you have the number. You 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 texted me, but uh, what's uh, what is what has Locke been since the uh, uh, since the COVID? Uh, well, this COVID pause. Yeah, it's four of seventeen. Um, so under 25% in these two games, uh, since, since the COVID pause, uh, and, you know, he hits one on a a baseline, like screen, the screener action. Right. So like one of those was a baseline out of bounds three. The other one was like a panic, really a great play by quest Glover to just get a loose ball and find Noah and a good job by Noah to get it off. Um, but a little more hurried than Noah's jump shot normally is. Uh, and it hits nothing but nylon. So only one was a, was a true, like one of his, what you'd call his like normal catch and shoot, Eric. Yeah, that's a good point. He did have the one wide open when he drilled and uh, yeah, but Hey, uh, I also uh, props to him for his, his 203 pointer uh, puts him in some, some elite company in, in Florida shooters. Yeah, puts him in elite company and shooters, period. But uh <laughs> but definitely uh you know, congrats to him. You think that I think he'll he'll get it going again. He's just I mean, you know, we keep talking about what what history and numbers show us, and the numbers show us he's a little bit better a three point shooter than he's shooting right now. So I think he'll get it going again, but it, it does point out something that you were talking about on the last show that like these COVID pauses have impacts and one thing they certainly impact is shooters and it's definitely impacted uh, Noah Locke's play. And, you know, what are your thoughts on, on how it's affected Scotty Lewis? Cause we continue to talk about the malaise of Scotty Lewis and as much as we praise Quest Glover for one of his better games in a Florida uniform, maybe we're looking at Scotty and saying, man, tough one. Uh, I, I, again, the, the thing, the thing with like, Noah Locke go <laughs> missing a bunch of threes after a COVID buzz. Uh, we can kind of be like, well, for two seasons, he's been just like an incredible, incredible shooter. And he was putting up incredible shooting numbers before the pause. Now that he's missing shots, um, it's probably safe to say that, that there's some rust and uh, something that happened from him not being able to you know, shoot a basketball for two weeks. But, you know, then I look at Scotty Lewis and it's just like the problems he's having right now are the same problems he's had all throughout his basketball career. Uh, the the fact that he d- doesn't seem to n- know when to drive or uh, he, there was there was a play today where like uh, he got his you know he, he he got a bad closeout from a defender coming at him but instead of driving to to the middle of the floor which was totally available he drove to the baseline and got himself in trouble and turned the ball over. Um, he could have had even more turnovers. Um, one of the, the, the one turnover kind of late in the second, he had like a botched dribble handoff with Trey man. And I definitely thought it was, 
totally Scotty Lewis's fault. Yeah. Uh, Trey Mann got charged with a turnover on that play. I'm glad you can remember it, Neil, uh, just because, yeah, just yeah. so you know. So that was that was Trey Mann's turnover. Um, that was totally, you know, in my mind was was Scotty Lewis's. So he could have had even more. So, so yeah, to see him, to see him struggling to. Uh, yeah to see him struggling with those plays to see him missing open jump shots which again like i, I still was kind of like uh, of course he had he ended up shooting the ball really well in conference uh, on a small sample size last season i just like never really seemed to buy it uh just like his his mechanics that like insane amount of arc on the ball i just i, I just never felt really good about it and and uh yeah we just saw we saw some of those some of those shots not falling and then of course defensively i i, I didn't think he was awful defensively or, or anything but there were some tough moments where uh where he looked pretty bad and got blown by for some pretty easy straight line drives so uh, so i mean i know you asked the question uh what part of it is rust and and i i i'm not sh- i'm not sure what i can chalk up to rust when it's yeah, uh, yeah. problems he's had he's had throughout his career no i mean i agree with you i just kind of wanted to see if, if you had some different insight on it by the way mike white and the staff certainly thought that that turnover was uh, on Scotty Lewis based on uh, their reaction in the building to it, um, which pretty much involved yanking Scotty out of the game and, and uh, talking to him until they put him back in to play defense. Uh, But he just stood right by Mike white, uh, never sat down, just put his mask on and Mike's watching the game and talking to him. So a little, little inside the arena um, react to that was, was a pretty good lecture from, from the staff, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, they had, uh, they had some moments with, with a couple different players today, but, but Lewis was certainly one of them. Noah Locke got an earful after, uh, Georgia iced a ball screen and, um, you know, Noah didn't recognize what they were doing and didn't reverse the ball quick enough. Uh, Noah had another chat, uh, when they trapped a when they trapped pick and roll, which we were, I think we both agree, you know, uh, maybe they just shouldn't run that action. So then Noah doesn't get into that trouble. But nevertheless, uh, some discussion about him throwing the ball into the bleachers. There were some some very visible coaching moments in the building today, and I don't know if those are necessarily rust issues. Uh, it's clear if you're if you're giving a kid a, a an earful about it. It's probably something you've, you've worked on pretty hard and they're being careless with the ball or not doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, you know, we like something we've had the discussion of several times on the podcast is the development of players and something <laughs> that can be really tough to quantify and something that, uh, you know, I've personally said, I, I don't think that coaches play as big of a role in, in player development as some others might think. Um, I will say this, when we look, you know, like if we revisit this conversation next year or in two years, depending on if Locke decides to stay for his um, his, his extra year that he's now going to be allowed because of because of getting this one back, um, if, if he does ever become a good pick and roll Paul handler, we will we will have to say Florida in Noah Locke's junior year, allowing him to continue to use ball screens over and over and over again, despite the fact that he's not very good at them. Um, I, I guess that'll have to that'll have to be some kind of uh, credit to, to the staff for for giving him those those touches because uh, yeah he's just he's just not great at them right now and and it was interesting because again like I was pretty upset at the fact that they used him in that that ball screen and then I was obviously upset that he turned the ball over but at the same time it's like man if you ran a a, a set to get Omar Payne coming off a screen to shoot a three and he misses the three I mean whose whose fault is that is that. Omar Payne's for missing a three or is it, is it you for putting him in that position? And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I would just prefer that they, they probably didn't uh, use Noah Locke in as many uh, pick and roll settings. But um, yeah, I was going to ask you, Neil, if there was any more of those kind of cool coaching moments that uh, you had for yeah. me, just because the one I love that I heard on the broadcast was every time that Florida had uh, was shooting free throws uh, someone from Georgia's bench. I don't know if it was Tom Crean or, or whoever, um, but they were calling out, uh, they were calling out their, uh, their fast break plays. They were calling out who was the trailer. They were calling out numbered break, like in old school uh, North Carolina, which I don't know if they're running the exact same thing, but they were, they were calling it in the same way that Roy Williams calls out numbered break things for, for North Carolina. So I thought that was pretty cool. I know, um, you know, how to play fast is always a popular uh, conversation on the podcast here. And, and again, when uh, uh, pretty much anytime the other team's shooting free throws and 
you've got the free throw shooter on the free throw line and you've got two guys lined up in the, the rebounding spots, uh, every free throw pretty much gives you a transition opportunity if you're the, the defensive team. So, uh, so again, to see, to see Georgia saying like, Hey, this is what we're running on this fast break or our secondary break, um, getting everyone to spots. I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, cool coaching moment that again, you're just not going to see in a, in a non, uh, non COVID world. So that was, uh, that was one cool thing that at least I caught on the broadcast, but I'm sure you had much more uh, being in the building. Yeah, no, that was interesting. Um, you know, and obviously you can you can hear them yelling something in the arena, but it's a little less clear probably than with the broadcast mics. Um, but, but I mean, I think it was a lot of these individual kind of coaching and teaching moments. Uh, I mentioned, you know, they almost all came after turnovers, but uh, not entirely. You know, there was one where they did end up taking Anthony Derushi out after uh, – the transition play where I think he was just exhausted and uh, they took him out and, you know, he got fist bumps from, from every member of the Florida staff. And then uh, it was uh, Jordan Mincy that, that spent some time talking to him. Um, and, and, you know, you could tell like that was not criticism. That was, you know, praise like, Hey, that's, that's how we need you to play. You know, that's, that's what we, we expect that tenacity from you. Like you're a big, strong guy. You know, um, he is going to take risk. I, I'm still not certain that he reads the game uh, as well as as the staff would like. But but uh, you know, nine rebounds and a big reason that that Florida was able to limit Georgia to uh, a total of eight offensive rebounds, um, which was Georgia's lowest number of, of off- offensive rebounds in their last five games. And I think probably a big reason that that Florida was able to play the kind of defense they were that, that won the game. That's a good point. I mean, this is something that I've kind of wondered, uh, especially seeing a matchup like this, um, where, where Georgia's not like massive in the front court. I've always kind of wondered that like, like if Colin Castleton and Omar Payne weren't awesome, would Florida try to put out uh, Anthony Drugi at the five? Because like, honestly, I, I think he might look better at the five at, for him personally. I don't know if I think it'd be the best thing for the Gators as in, I probably don't think it'd be the best thing for the Gators. Um, but for <laughs> him personally, I, I, I think it'd be interesting because again, he does get himself in, into these situations sometimes where he just like completely leaves his check to go and like pursue a block shot opportunity that he's just like, there's no chance he's going to get it. Um, but again, it'd be interesting if he was at the five and was in a little bit more of those like primary positions to, to protect the rim. I, I, I think it'd be interesting just about like how he reads the game. If he was, a, if he did play center, he'd be able to read the game a little bit easier. I think in some ways he'd, well, he'd get himself into a lot more screen and roll um, situations, which uh, might open up a whole nother can of worms about his reading the game. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, it, it was just really good to see because, uh, again, I do think that Drugi's – I think he's the most inconsistent player on the roster. I'm sure that there's a few different options you could go with. Uh, but, but again, like this uh, – even when when Florida played Georgia the first time, there was definitely some of those moments where Drugi just absolutely – was the most athletic player on the floor, the longest player on the floor. And he just like made it known and, and, and they're going to need some, they're going to need some, uh, some more games like that, where he does just, you know, dominate every go after going after every rebound and, and getting some of those block shots where you just don't see where he comes from. And uh, yeah, they, they, it's good to get, get him some of that positive reinforcement because uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say this as, you know, it's, something pretty negative but again for for a fourth year player it still does seem like he's he's learning the game a little bit and uh yeah for jordan mincy to kind of reestablish what he is doing well uh you know hopefully see that moving forward starting with with auburn and you know going into some some games that that florida's really going to need yeah no and another thing that florida's really going to need is trey man to play like he did today florida trailed once in this game it was eight to seven georgia uh from there on uh, Florida goes on a 23 to four run that was more or less paced by uh, the play of Trey Mann, and then Trey hit one of his patented silky head fake uh, off the bounce threes uh, in the second half that extended a 10 point Florida lead to 13 at a time when it seemed like Florida really needed a bucket. Uh, Trey also bodied people and competed on the glass. I thought he had three rebounds, so it was close to several more. Uh, had three assists, had three steals, just did a little bit of everything to help Florida win. Yeah, he hit the floor in a couple of those rebounds and like kept balls alive that um, someone else ended up getting on the Gators, and so he didn't get credit. But like, yeah, he dove on the floor and and made something happen there, which uh, 
is obviously something you, you love to see from your McDonald's all Americans and, and had three steals that were uh, really impressive. Again, I, I just, I kind of think that Florida is going to need to be a team that, that cranks up the pressure at times. And uh, which is going to be a little bit tough because I, I also think they need to sit in the gaps and help on straight line drives. So it's kind of tough to both sit in the gaps and, you know, pressure passing lanes and come away with steals. But uh, Hey, uh, Loyola Chicago does that very well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but again, and then of course, like he has, he's, you know, he has two turnovers. I think he had one turnover. Um, I think right. he had so, so yeah, I, I thought he played a responsible game and, um, it was kind of funny again, like against Arkansas, there was the time where it's like, you know, Florida kind of needed those desperation threes and, and man wasn't able to hit them. Uh, it, it obviously wasn't the same level of desperation for Florida, but you know, when they needed him to hit a big shot, uh, you know, he did. So, uh, yeah, I would say just overall, a really impressive game for him, even though his, his numbers are, are fine, they're not going to jump off the page. I, I, I did think it was a, it was a really good game for him. Yeah, White complimented his defense after the game as well, said that Trey did a really nice job on uh, Katie Johnson uh, in mm. in several one-on-one um, -on -one opportunities. White said they were very concerned about Katie Johnson uh, going into the game. Um, you know, we, I know we talked about Katie a little on the show, uh, and, and Florida really frustrated him. Three of 11 uh, from the floor, uh, only eight points. Um, I'm really not sure why what it is that has Tom Crean only playing his leading scorer 22 minutes, but you know, you do you Tom, uh, maybe it was Trey man's defense. <laughs> yeah. I did think Katie Johnson is like, man, he's a pretty thick guy. And there was some moments defensively that, uh, he was, uh, yeah, he looked, he looked pretty, pretty heavy footed. So, so maybe that's it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, looking to see that he had such a poor game. I mean, Obviously, when when Florida wins by by seven, and and Katie Johnson, you can really go off when he was quiet for most of it. He had zero points for most of it. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah def, de definitely a credit. So, uh, and of course, we thought Trey Mann really defended well uh, a game prior. So, hey, two two straight games where where he's been a very good defensive player. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so that was good. I think only two dogs got double figures. Um, Wheeler with twenty seven, and uh, Ty Fagan. Kind of out of nowhere, 14, 6 of 8 from the field, as we all would have predicted uh, from from Ty Fagan. Uh, but but pretty good uh, job of uh, Florida locking down. And it gets to – it was funny. I was thinking about as as I looked up at Severe Wheeler's points and thought, man, Florida has not defended him that poorly all night. You know, at least – especially like Quest Glover's had some nice moments on him. You know, he was a handful for Appleby, but – you know, Florida did a nice job of helping on him. I thought Omar Payne, I was really disciplined in his help defense. He plays at about 20 minutes, doesn't score, but I thought played well. Um, and, you know, it's funny, It get, but it gets back to a point that Eric made on the first show, which is, man, how fun would it be to watch Severe Wheeler on a team where, like, he had a lot of dudes around him? Because <laughs> uh, he's, he's pretty good. He's fantastic, and uh, I think he's the beneficiary of again some of those just awful Florida turnovers, uh, where he went yeah. and, and got buckets off them or or got a couple of his assists that way. And again, it's like um, I know some people are like, "Oh, you know, Florida's transition defense is poor," and it's like again, like I, I feel like if you turn over the ball in a situation where they have an instant three on one, it's 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 not your transition defense that's giving up the bucket; it's it's the guy right. that turned the ball over. So, uh, so which again, so I I don't really look at Florida as as. Uh, playing him that poorly, but there was definitely some moments where, again, he was just able to get in the paint and just like keep his dribble alive for seemingly forever, and uh, that got Florida in trouble. And uh, the way that he drew fouls by by doing that, just like keeping his dribble alive and getting in the paint, yeah, definitely, definitely some tough moments for for some guards not named uh, Quez Glover or or Trey Mann. But um, I'll be interested what Severe Wheeler does because I mean, man, he's obviously someone who's um, in his second year. Um, the fact that he gets this year back, I just, I, I, I don't think he's from Georgia. I think he's one of the guys that, like you mentioned, the other podcast that, that uh, Crean went and got from somewhere else. I, I, I wonder if he sticks around there because, yeah, he's, he's a really special talent. Yeah, he, uh, he's a guy that that uh, Crean had recruited at um, Indiana uh, from a very young age, and and um, he's from Texas. So uh, he's from Houston, by the way, which uh, you know. They have there's a basketball program there that that I think would would do well with a player like I'm told anything by my hot sauces. Uh, they may have some cash money. 
at uh, at that program as well, based on who their head coach is. All right, enough of that. Uh, speaking of coaches with cash money, Florida heads to Auburn on Tuesday. That I mean, like we should have sponsorships for that transition alone, in my opinion. Um, I'm gonna pat myself, pat myself on the back uh, for for that transition. But uh, Gators heading up to Auburn Tuesday, taking on the. The Tigers, who have a uh, losing record right now, 11 and 12, kind of a transitional year for the mighty Bruce Pearl. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, just like this team that uh, Bruce Pearl self-imposed before the postseason ban, before he knew that Sharif Cooper was going to uh, be able to play and be awesome. And again, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> we talk about Severe Wheeler, and Sharif Cooper is kind of like the better Severe Wheeler. Um, or I mean, I, I, I don't know, comparable. Sharif Cooper definitely has had some, uh, some of these explosive games where he's been a little bit better, but, uh, uh, again, just like a smaller guard that, uh, that is just awesome. And, uh, currently uh, it's a little bit of a small sample size because, uh, because he joined the, 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 the team mid season, but his assist rate is like, is just under 50%, which is just like ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's just like would never hold over a season, but it's just incredible right now. Like as good of a passer as, as there is in the country, he's also someone who doesn't shoot the ball very well. So uh, I see a lot of severe Wheeler and Shreve Cooper, except obviously I do think uh, Shreve Cooper is a little better. So, uh, but of course, Hey man, I mean, it's uh, with Auburn right now, it's, uh, it's definitely starts with Shreve Cooper. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And, and just so we know, yeah, I mean, we're talking about like NBA uh, severe Wheeler. That's the, that's the, uh, that's what we're talking about with with Sharif Cooper, who is currently in the lottery and in uh, two uh, mock drafts that, that I follow, SB Nation's mock draft and uh, the ESPN mock draft. Uh, the Athletic has not updated their mock draft in a long time. So when they did their last mock, Sharif Cooper had not played a game yet and was still going in the second round of the Pistons uh, <laughs> without having played a single game of college basketball. Well, now he's played quite a few games of college basketball, Eric. And, and uh, really other than Baylor, it's tough to kind of identify a team that's, that's done a terrific job on him, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And of course, Baylor, I, I mean, I, I think they could be the best defense in the country. So uh, uh, yeah, of course they're going to do pretty well. And, and again, like I, I didn't watch them play. Uh, I didn't watch them play Kentucky uh, is I do know that uh, is, you know, pretty crazy looking at the numbers and seeing he went four for 15 from the, from two point range. I mean, that's, yeah, uh, that's pretty wild. I mean, he also has one of the most uh, like he, he draws like more fouls than anyone in the country. And he drew exactly zero against Kentucky while shooting uh, 15 uh, shots from two point range. So, Hey, maybe something a little uh, fishy with the officiating. Yeah, there. that's a good um, point. We'll, that we'll one was give done. Kentucky uh, a, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll say Kentucky did a good job on him after they saw him the second time. I just, I just didn't watch the game, so I can't like totally yeah. comment, but looky, I did look at the numbers after that game when, um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. It's it, again, it's just like for someone who just seems to get in the, into the paint at will, which is again, just crazy because he doesn't shoot the ball that well. So it's like, well, I actually shoots the ball very poorly. I wouldn't saying he doesn't shoot it that well is might even be a, you know, putting it lightly. So right. the, the, the fact that he is able to just like live in the paint while, uh, while not providing any threat of a three-point shot and he's like generously listed at six one i think he's shorter than six feet uh myself uh pretty crazy so i i mean neil i gotta just ask you this who do you think who do you think guards uh sharif cooper can't hear you oh do you hear me now now i can so what do you have to ask me oh <laughs> yeah um uh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, who, so I think everything got, just kind of starts with who uh, who on the Gators guards Shreve Cooper. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to have to be this sort of by committee thing. Um, you know, I'm not sure that Trey Mann is necessarily quick enough to do it. And I think you'd also maybe want Trey Mann out on on Alan Flanagan a little bit. And, and they're like kick guys uh, just because of his length. Uh, and want to disrupt their three-point jump shots. So, like, is it a game where Quest Glover gets a lot of minutes again and gets a chance to do it? Is it a game where Florida trusts Scotty Lewis's quickness uh, and just understands that maybe, like, the points per possession number for Scotty's not going to be as good as the defense actually is? Um, you know, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean uh... – 
I can't quite like I Quez Glover just had a great game defensively. There's no question. It's still like a little bit hard for me. To, of course, of course. To a hundred percent, you know, just is 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 he the answer to Sharif Cooper that like no one else no. is really? Uh, but I hey, I'd love to see it. To be honest, like like let's be honest here. I mean, uh, I wrote about this the other day, um, writing about Niles Lane uh, and the defense he's he's been able to to put up in his short stints and um and in doing so just kind of pointed out like how much trouble florida's had getting getting stops i mean uh everyone save for trey man i didn't look at quez glover to be honest um his sample size might be small but but uh tyree appleby his individual defensive performances haven't been good uh noah locks have been slightly below average on kind of a high major scale uh scotty lewis's numbers have been poor so at the same time i mean you know, I can say, oh, that's a little bit of a bridge too far to cry to cry. Have ever be your primary option on Shreve Cooper, but at the same time, it's like, well, like a lot of these other players have had plenty of plenty of opportunities to prove themselves as perimeter defenders, and they haven't been good enough, quite frankly. So, uh, may, may, hey, maybe you do do quest, go Quest Glover. I, like, I, it's I, I kind of doubt it happens, but uh, yeah. Uh, you know, at least it's like I, I'm not anticipating Quez Glover, you know, being in the starting lineup. But uh, I, I'm sure. I, well, I th- I would think that after this game, he would get a chance. Though we have seen, you know, throughout the season, some guys have some some good performances and then not play as much the next couple of games. So so we'll see. But uh, I I would put Trey Man on on Shreve Cooper. I mean, uh, I totally understand what you're saying with with maybe is the better option. Um, on you you might want him out on Flanagan, but at the same time, I I just kind of feel like. Uh, well, the other thing about Trey Mann is I think Trey Mann is one of the best players playing in the gaps, which would be another reason why maybe you want him or something else, uh, which is probably what you were alluding to as well. But I, I just think like he is the best perimeter defender in your in your starting lineup. I, I think you've just got to you've got to put him on Shreve Cooper and hope that his length can kind of steer him out of the paint a little bit. And uh do I like love that matchup? I mean, not necessarily. Like you said, like raw explosive first step. Can he keep up with Cooper? Uh, maybe not, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the guy I'm trying right away though. I, again, I, I don't, I don't think that that's going to be the way that, that Florida goes with it, but I, I think that's how I'd go with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's what Florida will do. Uh, Florida certainly had a lot of, of success with pack line principles, defending Bruce Pearl's, offense last year um obviously there was no uh sharif cooper anymore and and you know i think people thought oh like why would you play pack line against a team that shoots as many threes as auburn and i think or play you know eric has pointed out and is probably grimacing a little bit like obviously it's not a true pack line defense what florida is doing but the principles uh were certainly effective in florida's victory over them last year got got into the gaps and and then, you know, Florida did a good job of recovering with their athleticism last season to to do enough to limit uh, Auburn from the perimeter to get get a big win. Was it last season? Yeah, it was. Um, and so I think I think uh, it's been a long decade, man. Um, <laughs> I think uh, there's certainly something to say for for doing that. Um you know, but the other thing I think it also does, and this is one thing I was thinking about, uh, you know, as Florida was preparing for, or as Florida gets ready to prepare for Auburn, and we and I was preparing for the podcast, can't put words together. Um, you know, they really like to, they have like five to 10 sort of go to sets, Eric, that they run, where I think those pack line principles are very useful and that Florida did a great job of guarding last year. They, they really like to run these little backdoor cuts. And they love these slip screens, and I think they're easier to defend when you're dropping off into the into the um, the lanes. Well, yeah, and, and again, uh, something I, at first I was chuckling because, of course, my memory of last year's Auburn game was uh, was of course actually being there with my wife, which was an awesome time. But it was also because that was the swan song of the two big. Um, lineup Omar Payne and Kerry Blackshear, um, who played just awesome. Um, you know, dominates Auburn, who's ranked number four at the time, and then just you know didn't see the light of day for for the rest of the season. So um, that's kind of why I was like, oh, how did they end up beating Auburn again? Oh yeah, it's that lineup that they uh, didn't end up using um, anymore. But uh, uh, obviously, again, another thing that gets thrown out a lot in uh, well has been thrown out the last six years in in, in uh, Florida basketball circles is dribble drive offense, and one team that does use a lot of dribble drive and does it really well as Auburn and the, the way that they create gaps by, by like punching gaps into dribble handoffs. It's like, it looks super simple. Like it's stuff that like you, you see it and you might miss it just because it just looks like, you know, 
normal like I got, I got it. Like, it just looks like basketball. Um, but the way, the way that they drive gaps into dribble handoffs, it's like very like old school, old school dribble drive. And, uh, but they do it, they do it really, really well. And of course having like Austin guards, which like Bruce Pearl has just continued to have over the last couple of years, it certainly makes that, um, look even better. Um, but again, I, w- w- when they're trying to drive gaps to then dribble handoff for another player to, to hit a gap, um, it makes sense that you try to play a style of defense that you sit in the gap. So it would make a lot of sense. And um, you know what, Neil, as well, like, I mean, that every defense nowadays is a hybrid. I don't know if there's even, you know, any teams that, that play true pack line, yeah. true anything these days. It's all a, it's all a hybrid. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, not offended by it, by any reference. So, uh, but I, but Neil, I, I'm totally with you with, um, especially their, their, um, their dribble drive, dribble handoff stuff that they, that they like to run. Um, again, they're, they're just looking to, to find gaps and create gaps. So, so sitting in that gap, um, I, I think would be really wise. I, I think that that's uh, something that Florida will likely do. Yeah, I mean, look, they. I think that they like. I like Bruce Pearl's offense. Like, it's not just transition and shoot a bunch of threes. They run good stuff, Eric. They and they have like good counters. Like, you throw different looks at them, and they'll run interesting actions out of the same like initial action. Like, you'll see, you know, a back a backdoor counter that flows into a double ball screen and you'll see, uh, you know, lots of slip screens when, when they, you know, I think they do a lot of really, they just do a lot of really interesting stuff. They run really good ball screen actions uh, and, and they do it real quick. They run those ball screens in early offense, a lot like North Carolina and Gonzaga do. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge to guard them and it's been a challenge to guard them this season uh, even as they've kind of struggled to, to guard people themselves. Yeah, I, I just I, I really do think that Bruce Pearl is an excellent coach, which is just you know rough because because <laughs> I find him a little insufferable at times. But uh, <laughs> uh, he 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 is really good. And again, like it, like Florida has not been able to get any of their baseline out of bounds plays off against uh, against Auburn these last couple of years because um, anytime they line up for anything there's coaches just screaming on the sideline what Florida is running like they're just like a very well scouted team um, they come very prepared and and like you said I, I think they run awesome stuff offensively so uh, I, I think you could, you look at this team and they're they're just probably um, uh, well I wouldn't say probably they're they're definitely just less talented than some of these teams of, of uh, the last couple of years um, and you kind of saw that when they were not very good before Shreve Cooper came of course he brings uh brings the talent up significantly um but yeah definitely definitely a team that i have a lot of respect for 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 how they uh how they how they play particularly particularly offensively and again as much as the gators were able to climb in their defensive uh, uh ranking in ken palm and probably the other metrics uh, after georgia um i i just still see how how florida has has struggled to uh, struggle to contain guards this year, and and that could be very tough against Auburn. Uh, something that's uh, pretty interesting too is just the fact that Auburn has ran fewer post up plays than anyone in the SEC. They they just don't run anything out of the post. Like they are just looking, um, and that's not just like true post ups. That's that's post up derived offense where they throw it into the paint and and run something off that. They they just they just don't do any of that. It is it is all for their <laughs> guards. And uh, Florida should uh you know whatever their game plan is, uh, it can kind of be centered around that. The fact that they're not going to have to worry about, Hey, how do we double team a post player or where do we yeah. want to be if they throw in the high post? Like that's, that's not going to happen. It's, it's how can you, uh, how can you defend against these guards? No. And I think that dictates how Florida guards ball screens, Eric, because you know, that's what they do for Alan Flanagan and JT Thor. Like they're big. It's not a Chuma Keke situation where they do go into the post. Like everything against the ball screens is pick and pop. So like, it'll be interesting to me. I think like, do you think Florida's going to hard hedge ball screens against them? Cause like, I'm not sure that like Auburn wouldn't be like, great, like <laughs> please do that. And we'll just set our side ball screens to come at your hedges with, with pick and pop actions. Like, I, I don't know if I do that. If I'm Florida, what do you think? Well, as much as I have not loved their uh, their kind of playing flat ball screen coverage with the like flat hedge, as much as I haven't loved that, uh, the threat of them hitting the role player is is not going to be as much as it's been in these last well many games that have that have been trouble. So uh, the the one thing as well is that. Uh, the one thing that would concern me greatly about that style of defense is you don't want Sharif Cooper having all this time to sit in the pocket and, and make passes. Yeah. And, and again, that's the trouble that Florida has had with that flat, flat defense is flat hedge ball screen defense is that they've allowed 
point guards to come off screens and just be so comfortable reading the floor and deciding, hey, do I want to feather this into a wide open roll man or do I want to hit a shooter because suddenly Noah Locke's on the weak sides tasked with taking away two shooters that are 15 feet from each other. Um, it's just been so comfortable for them. And that would be the one The one thing is like, yeah, I just like if, if there's anyone you don't want to do that against, it's Sharif Cooper. And, and you know, like Sharif Cooper, he's, he's a small guard. Those are usually the guys that you want to be able to trap because again, if you're calling Castleton, you're 6'11 and you're trapping Sharif Cooper, who's 5'11", um, it's going to be tough for him to get passes off. And again, that's that's another thing too, where um, if you have Trey Mann guarding him and then you've got Trey Mann and Omar Payne or Trey Mann and Colin Castleton kind of playing a hard hedge or, or trapping him, um, I think that would be that would be a great way to guard him. And, and I think maybe you live with some of those, some of those pick and pops, or maybe you're, you're able to trap him so well that um, he gets pushed so far that uh, those passes become long enough to, to the pick and pop that you can rotate over. Um, we'll see. But again, I just, has Florida been, you know, willing to make drastic changes game to game and in, in how they've done things like that? Like n- not really. So, so I don't really expect them to go back to the, to the hard hedging ball screen defense, but uh, I actually do think it would be, it would be the option I'd go with um, at least of, of what we have seen from this team. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure that, you know, I think it's, yeah, it is. I guess it's pick your poison because of Sharif Cooper. So it kind of all comes back to Sharif Cooper, but that really is the only way that they utilize. I wouldn't even call them their bigs, but they're taller players. Uh <laughs> On offense, I mean, Jalen Williams has shot 78 threes. You know, he's six foot eight and, and a load. Uh, you'd think that maybe they'd post him occasionally. They don't. Uh, JT Thor is is a rail, but he's 6'10 and can jump through the roof. Uh, they don't they don't really try to post him. They're content with the 62 threes he shot, though, Eric. <laughs> and then Alan Flanagan is going to bomb it. I mean, he's he's – uh, second on the team in attempts behind uh, Jamal Johnson there, the guy who's supposed to be their sharpshooter, but is really just a kind of a volume dude that is sometimes hot. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I want to deal with their, you know, sideball screens where Sharif Cooper can diagnose what's about to happen and they can get the rotation out. But then again, like I'm kind of with you, like, would you rather those guys beat you or would you rather Sharif Cooper like, penetrate and then make layups. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's another one of those things where, I mean, I feel like you could force the ball out of Sharif Cooper's hands and, and feel good about it. And like some of these other guys are going to hit shots. And then like at the end of the game, you look and like Sharif Cooper still has like 19 points and like nine assists. Like, so I can, yeah. I can see both sides of it. Um, actually another thing that, um, that has been a problem with Florida's like when they have hedged that got them in trouble against Georgia and more so against Arkansas is again, like when you have your big man that that's hedging out, whether it's flat or a hard hedge, he has to get either to the level of the ball screen of the guy with the ball in his hands or higher. And what has gotten Florida in trouble. And this is actually, I would say on um, this is on the primary ball, like the, the primary defender, like Florida's guards is that they've allowed. uh, So imagine again, like, Omar Payne's guy goes to set a screen and Omar Payne goes to the level of the ball handler because he has to either hard hedge or flat hedge. Um, the ball handler was just rejecting the screen and then suddenly Omar Payne is out of the three-point line and, and completely out of position to help and, and Florida's broken down that way. So, and that's that's something on Florida's on Florida's guards that they have to say like, hey, our entire ball screen defense is, is predicated on that player able, like the, using that screen, not rejecting it. Um, so again, I just like, I'm having like, like I can just so perfectly in my head visualize Florida going up to hedge ball screens and Sharif Cooper rejecting them and just like cooking whatever guard Florida has on them and getting in the paint and, and doing some stuff. So, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, what defense we'd love to see Neil is the, is some drop pick and roll coverage because yeah. this, is exact, this is the exact kind of matchup you'd love to see a drop pick and roll defense because Sharif Cooper is not a threat to pull up from three. He is not a threat to pull up in the mid range. Um, he's not, a great not a great like you know finisher as as a floater kind of shooter so so again he's like the exact player you'd love to see play drop pick and roll coverage against but again like in the third or fourth to last regular season game of the season whatever this is um i'm not i'm not going to anticipate a change like that yeah and you know what i mean maybe maybe florida will hedge a little bit more um without you know doing it too frequently i suppose i mean auburn is a team that gets a lot of shots blocked uh they're among the bottom of college basketball in the high 340s in Kimpom. And, 
in getting shots blocked. So, you know, you probably want your rim protectors somewhat near the rim, uh, if at all possible, uh, to help. But, you know, Georgia and their win at Auburn Arena, uh, you know, Georgia trapped and hedged quite a bit. And, you know, because Tom Crean, he just uh, do all the, the Diet Coke defenses, man. Uh, but they, uh, to your point, they said, you know what, we're going to make Jalen Williams and, and JT Thor uh, and Alan Flanagan bury us from from deep. And you know what those guys responded with? Uh, they responded with a four of 15 from three outing uh, on the evening. You know, so when those three players are taking more than 50% of Auburn's threes and making only four of them, probably a pretty good recipe to, to do pretty well, even with a huge game from Sharif here. So it'll be interesting to see, like, how Florida does that defensively. I wanted to ask you this as we kind of get ready to close. Put putting on your NBA hat with all the NBA work you do. Like what kind of you've seen all sorts of of uh comparisons. You know, there's the lazy kind of oh Colin Sexton because he's not tall and he comes from Alabama, I guess. <laughs> um and then there's uh some more interesting ones like McKinley Wright, the kid out of Colorado. Uh, who also could not shoot, but was a four-year college player. Um, you know, give us the breakdown for Florida basketball. Well, uh, I, I mean, with Shreve Cooper, like uh, he's someone that's, uh, you know, when you said that he was in the, the lottery of some of these mock drafts, I'll tell you this, when my NBA Canada mock draft goes up, um, you will not be seeing, uh, you will not be seeing Shreve Cooper in my, my lottery. I mean, there's just so few players that, uh, that have that kind of profile. And that's something that I always look at um, is I always just look like, is there an archetype for this style of player being successful in the NBA? And if there's not, then what you're kind of saying is like, okay, I think this player is going to like completely change a trend and, you know, trailblaze a new role. And that's something that, again, even going back to um, like Andrew Nemhard coming out of high school, um, there was NBA buzz. And after his first year, there was NBA buzz. And, and, and again, my kind of thought was like, well, who does, who does he look like in the NBA right now? Like, you know, Kendall Marshall, well, he had a couple of good years and then he's out of the league. Like Grievous Vasquez, like, well, he was in there for a bit and then kind of fell out of the league. So, so again, that was one of the things that it's, it's just always, it's just always something that uh, if you can't like easily see like that archetype of player having success in the NBA, uh, I'm really hesitant. So, so to me, Shreve Cooper is a player I'm definitely intrigued by. Like, I, I think the moment he steps on an NBA floor, he's going to be a top 25 passer. Uh, his ability to, to, pass off a live dribble is just like in, incredible um so i so i do you know i do respect that in in a lot of ways but uh, i just i just think like ooh, i i would i would not use a lottery a lottery pick on him and, and i like a lot of players but um for me i mean uh, you you look at some of these smaller players that have had success um recently i like a tyler ulis and that's a player that that i would have to say that kind of seems the most the the most similar to me um I'm still trying to kind of figure out what I think of Shreve Cooper as a defender. And like, again, Tyler Ulis is a guy that's uh, you probably think of as more of a defender than an offensive player. And I, I that's certainly not with, with Sharif Cooper, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I, Ish Smith is, is another player um, that again was like kind of out of the league. And that's why I kind of like, fear what Sharif Cooper could be but Ish Smith was a guy that just like again like an undersized player that couldn't shoot but still was able to just put up like like he was like you know on the on the process 76ers teams was just like putting up double doubles in in their losses but I thought he was really good so um yeah I'll say like Ish Smith or, or Tyler Ulis. okay all right um so you know that's interesting I, it, it's interesting I, that's why I wanted to ask I mean you know because people you know, they'll see the ESPN's lottery or SBA Nation's lottery. And, you know, it'll. I'm interested to see where the athletic puts him. Um, when their new mock comes out, I think they put out one usually before March Madness starts. Uh, they make the people wait, but we'll see what happens there. And also make sure uh, you check out Eric's when I'm sure he puts it on on Twitter so we can see exactly where he has our man. Uh, Sharif Cooper, who will be a challenge to Florida. And I think what is a huge week for the season, I mean, I guess it goes without saying when you only have three games left and this is the last full week, you know, that hashtag analysis, Neil, um, this is a huge week, but it's two road games that are both uh, imminently losable. 
Well, again, I don't want to be like uh, super negative or, or anything like that, but I mean, like Florida is in a worse position from an NCAA tournament standpoint um, after beating Georgia than before beating Georgia because they didn't beat Georgia in the fashion that the the numbers would have suggested they would. So, like right. again, it's not like as devastating as losing to Georgia. That would have been awful, but like they they didn't help their cause like by winning against Georgia, which is kind of tough to do to take care of business, but like not actually take care of business. So, so again, Auburn's kind of in, in the similar boat. I mean, they're a better team than Georgia, but uh, yeah, just like, uh, again, a, a loss there after kind of hurting yourself in, in, in the numbers against, uh, against Georgia, uh, that could be tough. And then, uh, then of course you're seeing, uh, seeing a Kentucky team that uh, obviously beat Florida handily. And then a Missouri team who, a lot of people think is really good. And, and I do think is a really good team, but like the, the numbers don't see it the same way. So it's like a game where right. like, you see, like most people would suggest that that Missouri is a top 25 team, but uh, yeah, the, the, the numbers don't bear that out. So it's like, uh, even if you beat them, it's probably not as good of a win as you might expect. So uh, man, this, we, we, we really could be in for some, some stressful final weeks here, which is unfortunately been a annual thing in the history of this podcast where we were coming down to the last last few games of the season and kind of just like wondering uh, where Florida is at um, on which side of the bubble but uh, yeah I mean it all it all starts with Auburn I think that they're definitely feeling um, you know at least a good bit better if they can take care of business preferably in a way that doesn't um, still end up dropping them in the metrics yeah I think it'll be tough for them to drop in the metrics against Auburn it's going to be a quad two game pretty much no matter what Um, but that said you know you have to look at look at Auburn's schedule as well, and note that they play Tennessee at home Saturday, uh, which um, you know who knows with the balls. Uh, but they close at Alabama, which is not a game they're going to win. So, um, you know, I think you could be looking at at, at an Auburn team uh, that uh, that quad two win is it looks stable now, but if they're eleven and fifteen at the end of the year, who knows how how it actually looks. Right. So I think um, it's like the thing with Ole Miss, like Florida has this win over Ole Miss and then Ole Miss goes and just lays a giant egg uh, tonight against Mississippi state. And you're kind of like, well, I guess it's okay. because Miss state beat Florida, but <laughs> on the other hand, it just waters down everything. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how it goes, Eric. Uh, you know, I think it's a game Florida should win as much as Sharif Cooper energized Auburn when he came I think since they kind of ran out of steam in the second half against Baylor, they've looked a little different. You know, Bruce Pearl uh, just credited LSU today, but I thought some, you know, when I saw the score, I kind of thought, oh man, you know, maybe, maybe Auburn's done. They know there's no postseason. It's been a weird season. You've got dudes in hazmat suits sticking things up your nose. Like, you know, and now you've got SEC royalty in Florida. You've got to play Tennessee, and then you got to play the SEC champion to close your season. Like, how fun is that, right? So um, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I think Florida has to just bring their lunch pail. And like you said, you just go to work and you take this stretch uh, one game at a time, as the old cliche goes. Uh, let's uh, let's hope that this game, like you know, ends up happening because you, just because again, like when you like, I'm kind of with you thinking that like, man, when they know that there's not going to be postseason play and they've got tough games coming up and they've already lost a bunch, like that's the kind of team that uh, you know I could see taking things a little bit more loosely off the court and maybe that ends up in a positive case or something that could that could be rough, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like it's it's kind of pretty clear. Like Florida has more to play for right now than than Auburn, and and I've never been someone who really like looks at like you know Florida's like want to or their effort or their desire. Right. I just, I've never really speculated on that. I I think a lot of times it's lazy analysis for people that do, but like there is there is just like you know from a matter of fact standpoint, Florida is playing for a whole lot more than Auburn is right now, and uh, uh, hopefully that's reflected on uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. When is this game? Yeah, Tuesday. But I mean, Tuesday at nine o'clock on the mothership ESPN. But the, you know, I think it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, like you said, um, and we'll see. We'll see how serious Auburn is. You know, they they played eleven games with Cooper. The first was a, a swashbuckling game that was a fantastic college basketball game against Alabama that that the Tide won. 
Um, and then, you know, but the tide only won by four. And then Auburn got on a roll. Uh, but they have lost five of their last six. So it's just not a game that would would look great if Florida wins. And I think people would say, oh, well, they got Sharif Cooper. And the reality is, you know, this is a Florida team that's mature enough. They can't let a freshman beat them, not on this Auburn team. Like Florida needs to take care of business Tuesday night. Get the win, and, uh, you know, hopefully they'll be inspired to play well at Rupp Arena. Good news is that the Gators tend to play well on the road. Uh, under Mike White, you know, we keep looking for constants in the culture. And like, I've really gotten it to where that's the constant, I think, is that they tend to perform well on the road. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> but uh, it, it seems to be consistent. Uh, and everyone is always looking for um, how is, you know, home court going to change in, in a COVID year? Uh, well, with Florida, it's been kind of, yeah, like you said, it's been the, it's been the constant losing some games at home, but uh about winning some some tough ones on the road, so who knew that uh, having two road games out of out of three at the end of the season could be a, could be a break for the Gators? But uh, yeah, here here we are. Yeah, we never know what what game they'll make up. I, I it, you know it sounds oh, like the, it sounds like Florida will have a, some sort of makeup game. I you know I I think on the last pot I said it would be Texas A and M. I don't even know if Texas A and M is going to play basketball again this year. If I were them, I wouldn't. Like, what's the point? Um. But we'll see. We'll see what they do. We'll see what the uh, conference does. Uh, right now, the Gators in sole possession of fourth place in the SEC. They would maintain that spot with a victory uh, Tuesday, and potentially they could move into third, depending on what happens with LSU. But um, yeah, so uh, no, actually they can't because I think LSU has nine conference wins now. So I lied. Florida can only be in fourth at the end of Tuesday night. But we will see, and we will be back after that. Thanks for listening, everybody.